Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord with the display of his splendor. That's the word of God. So just to hop straight into my uh, message, when I was a senior in high school, what was going on in my little world is um, we were a part of a pretty massive um, student ministry, we called it youth, youth group back then, and, uh, and there was a lot going on, but some of my friends and I, um, when we were 16, 17, 18, were gathering together to kind of just chase after God. Um, just a few of us, uh, and um, praying, um, worshiping, um, studying the Bible, holding each other accountable. And around my senior year, we started to see God show up in pretty um, incredible ways. I had never seen or experienced anything like what was going on. And the, the power and the presence of God in our lives um, sort of blew up and we were trying to get some answers and figure out what was going on because we knew it was God. We just didn't know if it was okay or not. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what to do. And our pastors were really nice, but not super helpful um, in guiding us. And I um, just, I was checking out colleges. It was my senior year. And I went to visit my girlfriend who was at Florida State. Um, and the reason why I went to visit her partially was to try to figure out how to break up with her. If you ever had a relationship at that stage, you're a great girl. This is not going to be a long-term thing. How do I? Um, how do? How do we get out of this without me seeming like a bad guy? You know, because that's that's high on my priority list. Um, can't seem like the bad guy here. And I went and visited her, and the campus ministry that she was a part of at Florida State. Um, I saw something that I had never seen before. I saw on a church-wide level um, with a bunch of college students similar things happening that were happening in my little group of friends. And I, I, I know this um, is just exposes my ignorance, but for all I knew, that was the only other place in the entire world where there were things like that happening, the power of God showing up in that way. Uh, and so um, being a good Christian, I lied on all my other college applications um, to make sure that I didn't get into any other school other than Florida State. Um, because I wanted to go to that campus ministry. I figure I'll get a degree while, there, while I'm there, right? And, um, and I moved into the dorm next door to that church and then spent the next um, four years deeply involved, three of those years on staff. And in that space, I ran into something for the first time. There was all of this amazing, like I still to this day, sometimes I, I haven't seen some of the ways that God moved um, in that time in my life. I also left incredibly wounded and jaded. And what blew my mind was that both the power of God could be moving in such a strong way and we could be such idiots to each other. 
And over and over, and like everybody we knew was, was, was between the ages of 18 and 22. If you're 23, you're old, you're the wise person on the block who has like, like life experience to offer everyone, you know? And in um, and, and, and that space, um, we were really passionate but we were really bad at boundaries, at relationships, at emotional maturity, at caring for each other. And guys, I was, um, I was struggling enough, jaded enough, where I literally moved to California to live in a tent with a bunch of hippies for a few months just to, yeah, just to try to recover from church. And... Is I um, was, was, we were thinking through this relationship series a couple of weeks ago. This wasn't what I originally planned to preach on, but I decided I, I just, I really felt God pulling on my heart to talk about church hurt and the wounding, the relationships, and the challenges that are unique that happens when we have broken relationships with, with the church. Um, Ron sent me a quote this week from John Ortberg that he heard recently, and he, he says this, there is no pain worse than church pain, except family pain. There's no pain worse than church pain, except family pain. And I know some of us, those actually end up getting intertwined, and that can be extraordinarily difficult. And, and here's, you know, dose of unfortunate reality. None of us get out of church um, without both being wounded and wounding people. Um, that, that is because we have broken people that are in relationships with one another. Really, the only way to do it is to see church as an event that you attend and not a community that you participate in. Um, but that's not, that's, not, that's not church, that's not, that's not Christian. Um, as we are deeply invested and intertwined in each other's lives, sharing in each other's lives, one of the things that happens is, is we both are hurt sometimes and we wound others. And, and there's this massive spectrum on how that goes. And I, I realize as I'm opening up this can of worms, I will not do it justice. Um, but as I, uh, I was thinking about this, I called my wife and said, hey, Christina, um, I, I texted her and said, I think I'm doing a sermon on church hurt. I'm changing my plans. Um, you know, think about what might be helpful to put in the sermon. And when I got home, she had my sermon outlined for me. She had a whiteboard and everything. And, um, and, and, she, uh, and she said, I think, I think you're supposed to use um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and, and that's the passage you've got to use. And I opened up my computer where I had been taking notes that day and swiveled it around and showed her that I had already picked to, to preach out of Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Um, and so I just have a sense that maybe the Holy Spirit's at work and as inadequate a job as I'm going to do in the remainder of the time we have together, I, I just, I want you to know that I care about the fact that the church hurts people. And we care about the fact that we both participate in being wounded and wounding. And how do we invite Jesus into that? To be with us in that and to heal us and to make us more like who we're supposed to be. Because there is often a gap that we experience between what the church is supposed to be and what it is. And what do we do with that? Now that gap can, can look miles wide, right? Very different from each other. Maybe it's, um, it starts with, with things like just disappointment or, or unmet expectations. You know, and, and maybe, maybe they're petty things um, that we just need to get over. 
that they're not worth um, fighting over, they're not even worth bringing up, they're, they're just worth dropping and moving on, you know, because that's life, right? Unmet expectations are part of life. Maybe they're bigger than that. Um, maybe they, they leave a, a scrape or a, or a scar. Um, maybe there's things like guilt by association, as I would call it. I've heard this a little more lately where because there is such mess in the church broadly, and some of the worst offenders of people that claim to be the church out there in the world are also the loudest. Have you guys noticed that it tends to be the worst people are always the loudest? Have you, and you get a TV show, how does this happen? And um, not everything on TV is bad, um, but a lot of it. Um, and then when people experience the church out there is deeply dysfunctional, toxic, weird, um, that can impact how they engage and see their own local congregation. That can make it, that can make it challenging. Um, what do you do? Probably reduce the amount of attention you're giving to, to the wacky um, and to the unhealthy. Maybe focus on your local congregation, but that can be real. Um, what, what about um, conflict? Straight like head to head. Um, you hurt me when? You said this, and that wasn't okay. You ignored me here. You did this. Um, and and there's, there's straight up, I disagree with you, and we kind of went to war over something. Or you, you intentionally, it felt like, wounded me. And there's that kind of direct conflict. Maybe there's shaming or shunning. It can look a, a bunch of different ways. What about death by a thousand paper cuts? Where someone is just minimalized and diminished one bit at a time by, by a local congregation. And over the years, it feels like their soul like drains out the bottom of their feet because of how the church doesn't care or, or just little ways that they push people aside. Uh, there's more categories that we could talk about. The most um, concerning would obviously be abuse. Um, which this is, man, this is a sermon I really wish I didn't have to have, y'all. Um, but that happens in churches. And I am sure that there are people that you know that have been hurt, maybe even abused, by a church or by someone in authority, someone in leadership, some group of people. I don't know. I don't know the story. But that's real. And then there's all the ways that we deal with it, all the way from disillusionment and bitterness and cynicism to anger and fighting and going to war, to packing our bags and leaving, to shoving things down and pretending like everything's fine and all of the different ways that we deal with things. And um, so I, I just want, to, like I said, to do an inadequate job over the next few minutes and dive into to this. What do we do as a church with the fact that we hurt each other? And that that can impact people's lives for the rest of their life. I have friends from my campus ministry that I talked about, some of whom are very close to the Lord, some have left the faith entirely, and they would trace that back to how we wounded each other in 2000 to 2004 at Florida State University. And I, I want to do our best to grow into who God wants us to be. I want, it's one of the reasons why for Q&A after, um, I've asked a professional counselor to hang out with me um, that I can give her all the hard questions, um, and I'll just kind of lean back. And uh, it was a joke. Y'all can chuckle. It's okay. Um, thank you. This helps me. Um, and, uh, but before we dive in, um, would y'all just, could we pray together? Lord Jesus, um, 
God, we know that it breaks your heart that we even have to talk about this. And we are sinful, we are broken, and we sin against each other and we break each other. But Jesus, I thank you that that's not the end of the story. That you want us to be a community of healing. And even though we are wounded in community, I, I pray that you would heal us in community. So come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 4, Paul is writing to a local church. Now, um, I know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Most of the New Testament, most of it is written into context where local churches are having trouble. So when a local church is struggling and getting on each other's nerves and being dysfunctional, we're just being really biblical, right? Um, we could like preparing to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul. That is why most of the New Testament is written. And, uh, and when he's writing to the church in Ephesus, um, he opens up this way in chapter four, this church that's struggling. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you, this is a collective you, this isn't an individual you, this is all of y'all, I urge y'all to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Just a couple of things here. He talks about how there is a calling that is on the entire church. It's often we talk about callings as individuals. You have a calling, I have a calling, I believe that's true. But an entire church can have a unique purpose that God has called it to. And I think that that's something that we can often miss. And maybe just as a side comment, we can get off other churches' backs who have different callings than we do. If we're following Jesus, but it looks different, that's all right. They can chase Jesus, we can chase Jesus, it's fine. Um, that's all good. But, but then he talks about how this church needs to learn how to be humble and gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. Why would he need to say that? Because sometimes we have to bear with each other in love. Sometimes carrying love for someone is heavy and it's a challenge. And that that's a part of what we're called to. So this doesn't make us unique, it makes us normal. But I, just let me just take just a second to hit the brakes and say that I'm sorry. That the ways that you have had to carry pain either from this church or some other, maybe from me, maybe from Legion, I don't know. I'm sorry that that's a reality that we're in and that you've been sinned against. That's not okay. He goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He talks about unity and peace. Now, something that's worth talking about here is that peace in our context, in our language, we often think about peace as the absence of conflict, but that is not the Hebrew understanding of peace. Their understanding of peace, the word shalom, is everything in its right place, and that brings unity. So maybe in our context, someone could say, hey, this happened to me, but because I don't want to make waves, because I don't want to bring conflict, I'm just going to ignore it. But that doesn't bring unity or really peace. That, that just means we're like ignoring, relying, we're diminishing, we're, we're saying that, that that thing doesn't matter. Now, unity is important. He clearly says, make every effort 
to keep unity through the bond of peace. But, but let's say this for us as a church, unity. Let's fight for it. We're not gonna lie for it. Let's fight for unity. We're not gonna lie for unity because that doesn't give us unity. So if there is something wrong, we shouldn't ignore it or say that it doesn't matter. We shouldn't tell someone they shouldn't feel that way. We need to lean into the difficulty so that we can figure out how to put everything in its right place and be unified with each other. With me? So moving on, something pretty radical that he does as he's talking to this church. Um, Verse four, there is one body and one spirit Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, he's doing something interesting here. He goes out of his way, when he's talking about unity, he says, if we're gonna have unity, it is gonna be because everyone understands that we have all received grace from God. And that we all have the same Lord, the same baptism, we all have the same access and status in front of God. And often in spiritual communities, what happens that breaks unity is people assume that someone has more access to God than everyone else. That someone has more power, that someone has more more control over others, and often that idea, which is like Old Testament priesthood idea that we have set aside, that that is leveraged to keep people's pain quiet because they have received grace from God and I need them to receive the grace from God that they've received. It's like trickle-down effect of grace, but that is not the New Testament. We live in a flat reality where every one of you has received as much access and grace from God as I have or Ron or anybody with any title or position or authority. Now, often in churches, this... Without people even meaning to, this means that folks that are kind of like seen as lower on the rung or out on the edges, the the ways that they have been wounded doesn't matter, but not in the church of Jesus. Everyone has received grace from Christ as he has apportioned it. There are verses like this in the New Testament that often get leveraged wrongly. Um, Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give account. Put your finger on that mentally as we move forward. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that you would, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now look, this verse is true. This verse, and I know pastors that have been, it would be right to say, abused by their congregation people that have left ministry because of how awful um, people have been to them and that they have lost their faith in Jesus because of how the church treated them. Okay, so that caring for our leaders, that is worth saying. However, sometimes that has been leveraged to say that if you aren't in leadership, your job is really just there to support um, like the super spiritual person and to kind of listen to them no matter what. Did you notice that line where he said, as someone who must give an account? Leadership should always be accountable. Should always be accountable. And whether it's, it, it's here or anywhere else or wherever you've been from, you should always run from a leader that skirts accountability. If you can't figure out who that person is accountable to, you do not want to be under their authority. 
And so that, among other things, we can figure out how, how to bring up an issue if we need to. B- because that, that whole power dynamic thing can be weird. If they, if they wound you, if they do something to you, whether that's a small group leader here or, or someone, you know, maybe a, a, a group of folks in our church or it's someone on staff or, or a pastor or whatever, um, we need to be able to go to the folks that they're accountable to so that we can help figure out how to move forward in the right way. Always run from someone that doesn't want accountability, please. Because we all have equal access to, who, um, to the grace of God. Um, moving on, as he talks about how um, the leadership of the church should be building up the body of Christ, um, it says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Can you leave that verse up there for just a second? Um, Here's one of those other things. Guess why he had to put this in the Bible? Because... Bad teaching, which wounds people, people understanding God wrongly can be absolutely destructive. Um, craftiness, cunning, deceitful scheming. Look, I know, I know that stuff happens at where, where you work maybe, but, but we also bring our broken selves into the church. And that kind of thing can happen here. And so he says that we need to become mature, that unity will help us become mature so that that kind of thing won't happen anymore. Now, I was reading one article on um, church hurt. And one of the things that I just got a little like, "Eh, okay, but they were saying like, no, Paul is saying that this is for your maturity, that you're wounding, that you can mature through this. Okay. I just didn't like how that came off. And as, I mean, like, sure, God's going to use everything, you know what I mean, Um, for, for our good. He will work in everything, but everything is not his idea. Right? Some things are opposed to the will of God, such as the church behaving badly. And I, I, I noticed there, though, he's not talking about your maturity. He's talking about a church's maturity. That when we learn to work through our pain and, and challenge sin in our context so that it doesn't have a place, that makes the church mature. It's not about how you can become mature through difficulty, although I know God will, will work all things for his good, but I, I am not like signing us up for more pain. It's, but as we work through the pain that exists and the sin that exists, we as a body become mature. How though? He, he gives some instructions here on how we can do that. Instead, speaking the truth in love We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So a couple things, just working backwards in this passage a little bit. Jesus will have his church. He is the head of the body, the church, and as messed up as we are, he is going to make us right. We will be built up into the body that he wants us to be. That means that healing is coming, and it is available. 
that we are not just going to ignore our wounds and walk around and pretend like that they didn't happen. Jesus will heal you and he will heal us and he is going to be at work in his church that will be his clean and spotless bride that we will be with him for eternity as his body. But when he says, how are we going to do that? This may be overly simplistic, but I think it's powerful. He says to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Now, this is tricky to pull off, but essential for maturity. So maybe first, if we could break that down a little bit, I want to talk about speaking the truth without adding to the drama. Um, When we say the thing that is true, that needs to be said, I have been wounded in this way, we need to do it in a way that doesn't add to the drama. That means it's not a group project. We don't take it to our whole small group. We don't buy a billboard on King's Highway and tell everybody what went wrong. This isn't Facebook post material. Everybody with me? Not that anyone would ever do that. We need to speak the truth. But we need to do it in the right way, in the way that doesn't go to war, in a way that doesn't diminish. We don't rescue each other, right? And run in and say, I will be your savior. That, that actually adds to drama. Um, we don't diminish and tell people that they need to be quiet and don't rock the boat. That's adding to the drama. We don't do that. We, but we need to speak the truth. We need to speak, the, we need to speak in love in a way that's not enabling. We need to speak in love in a way that's not enabling. Sometimes love um, becomes an excuse for not saying hard things or doing difficulty. Look, it isn't fair, but when we are wounded, we have to take responsibility for our own healing. It's not fair, but if you get hit by a car later today while you're riding your bike, you have to take responsibility to show up to physical therapy. It's not fair, but I don't know any other way to move forward. And so as we speak love, we cannot be enabling. We need to take responsibility. And if we need help, we need to go, here's here's my advice, find the most mature person you know. If someone has sinned against you, if someone has done something wrong in the church and you need help, find the most mature person you know and say, can you go with me to speak the truth in love? Can you be with me? I have been that person for people more than once. I have been the person that has gone with someone or for someone to the people in accountability over the individual to say, this is what happened. You need to act. You need to do something. Now, sometimes people would say, don't folks make things up sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, that happens. I've had friends lose their jobs because people have made things up about them that come out later. So the people in accountability need to do their job well and figure out what's going on. But here's the thing. If, if, you can, if it's a small offense and you can drop it and forgive people, great. If you need to go to the person and deal with that one-on-one, that's your next step. If you can't do that, you can go to the people that they're accountable to, do that. If, if that's too hard, take the most mature person you know with you to the people they are accountable to. Maybe that can be a bit of a process for us because we have got to speak the truth in love. Healing is available. It, it is not fair that the person that is wounded has to be the person to act. But let's, let's grow in helping each other speak the truth in love. I don't know your backstory. I was um, 
I got a uh, phone call once from a, just as wild as the church can be. I was up in the, the North Wing. I think I was in the children's ministry office. They said, Brett, there's a phone call for you. Picked up the phone. It's a dude. I could hear the anxiety dripping off the phone. And he said, I go to a small church in Illinois. And he said, um, I am struggling with a pornography addiction. And in my church, our pastor has told us that if we want to be forgiven by God, we have to confess our sins on the microphone in front of everyone at church. I thought, I'll bet your church is small. <laughs> and how often does the pastor get on the microphone? Hey, Reverend Tim, your turn, you know. And he said, my family, my, my little girls attend that church. What should I do? And I said, run, <laughs> run, <laughs> get out of there. Look, sometimes it's time to leave. I want us to be people that fight for unity, but we're not gonna lie for it. I want, I want people to fight for unity. We're not gonna lie for it. I want us to be able to speak the truth in love. Right? We're not gonna, be, we're not gonna, we're not gonna shrink back. We're gonna move towards the hard thing. And when we need support, take people with you. The most mature person you know. Take someone with you. And if you need help, and if you would trust us with that, I would suggest emailing care at lacroixchurch.org. Um, we, would, we would love to try to care for whatever those wounds are, if we can, if, if you would trust us with that, and I understand, maybe why not. Jesus has um, a mission that he claims as his own in the book of Luke. It's from Isaiah 61, talking about what the Messiah would be. And if you're carrying wounds this morning, I just want you to hear that this is what Jesus wants to be for you. And this is what he wants the church to be for each other. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we aren't a lot of the time. But I, I want to move in the right direction. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Lord Jesus, um, I pray that if someone is feeling weak today, that they would know that you want to build them up to be an oak of righteousness. And that even though they have been wounded by people that bear your name, maybe even us specifically, that you, that you want to make them someone that would display your splendor, that when people look at you, 
when people look at them, they would see your glory because of what you've done in their lives. God, I confess that sometimes we have taken people's crown of beauty away and given them ashes. We have taken the oil of joy away and given people mourning. We have taken their garment of praise away and given them despair. Um, And God, I ask that you'd forgive us. And like all forgiveness, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve their forgiveness. We don't deserve yours, Lord. But God, I pray that you would help us mature as a church as as you heal them. And that they would sense that exchange happening, maybe starting in a fresh way right now. That you would take their ashes and give them beauty. That you would take their mourning and that you would give them a garment of praise. And Lord, I pray that they would feel your spirit enable them to speak the truth in love. that as deeply as we can wound each other, that you would heal us to the uttermost until you have built us up into everything you dream about us being. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.